0: think those stories would be more embarrassing for me than for him, and so we might just skip over those uh, this morning. But it is a privilege to be with you here at Bible Baptist Church, and I'm excited about the opportunity. I'm, I'm uh, sorry that Pastor Keeley's not here, and I know that's tough when your pastor's missing, but uh, you know, you ought to be encouraged that you've got a pastor that other people want to come preach for them. Uh, not every pastor gets invited to preach elsewhere, and so that means you've got a good one, amen? And uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, man, you've you got to come back next week and hear your pastor, and uh, uh, I am certainly no substitute for him, and it's a joy to be with you. I understand you've had revival this past week. And uh, so I am uh, excited because that means uh, it should be easy today uh, to preach. And uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I do want to thank Pastor Keeley, Pastor Kenny uh, for allowing me to come uh, uh, this uh, morning. Let's take our Bibles, if we could, and go to the the, the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter number six. Chapter number six. I went to uh, high school with all of Pastor Keeley's daughters. And. uh, known the Keeleys for a long time and uh, certainly uh, uh, was sad when they decided to move to Florida and uh, then I decided to move to Arizona not long after that and so it really wasn't that big of a deal and uh, but uh, uh, thankful to see uh, the work that he is uh, doing here for the Lord in Florida and I know uh, you are grateful for his move to Florida as well. Amen. Looking forward to what the Lord's going to do in our lives this morning as we look into His Word. It's been a great morning already. Amen. And uh, John chapter number 6, I want to look at verse 26, just by way of introduction. We'll look at more of this passage throughout the message. But John 6, verse 26, as we start this morning, where Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves, and we're filled. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to worship you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, lay aside distractions, uh, lay aside uh, maybe uh, uh, plans that we have later for, for today or uh, to, uh, our to-do list that uh, we have at home for the week. And Lord, I pray that we just for this morning be able to slow down enough to, uh, to uh, Lord, get in tune and in touch with what you'd have for us from your word today. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth. I pray your spirit would go with it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Lord, would you uh, challenge? Would you encourage? Would you convict if need be? Lord, I pray, though, that you would change us uh, into your image and into your glory as we leave this place. May we walk out looking less like us and more like you. We'll thank you for it. We'll praise you for it. We'll give you the glory for it. For we know you're the only one worthy of it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I was six years old, or five years old, actually, when my parents decided to move from uh, Watertown, Wisconsin, to Lancaster, California, and uh, that was quite a drastic change for a five-year-old, right? I mean, you go to sleep with snow on the ground, you wake up with dirt on the ground, Uh, that that, that was not a pleasant change for a five-year-old, you know, I mean, leaving the promised land to go to purgatory, you know, I mean, that just... Didn't seem well, Uh, you know, that was not uh, good, you know. But my dad uh, uh, decided to make that move. He became the vice president at a small college at the time of West Coast Baptist College there in Lancaster, California. And uh, as six years old, I remember uh, sitting on the kitchen counter and uh, watching my brother, uh, John, construct this pool in our backyard. Now, I don't know how my brother, John, convinced my parents that we needed a pool Uh, I've never seen my mom or my dad step foot in a pool once in their entire lives, but somehow John convinced them in an effort to fit in, we needed a pool in our backyard. And I think the more amazing feat was that he convinced them that he should be the one to set the pool up, you know. And so he's out there with his college friends, and they're constructing this swimming pool. And I remember sitting on that kitchen counter, looking out the back window, thinking, man, uh, not going to be too long here, and I'm going to be in that pool swimming like a fish. You know, it's going to be awesome. And sure enough, uh, uh, they uh, put that hose in not too long after that, and the water began to fill up. And, I mean, I got excited, you know. And it was not too much later than that that I realized John did not have a future as a pool salesman, as uh, as he didn't put that pool up too correctly. No, I mean, that water began to mount pressure on those walls, and those walls collapsed. That water flooded our backyard. It flooded into our porch, onto our living room floor. My mom opened the door yelling, John, you idiot! I mean, it was awesome. But at the same time, it was a little bit sad because I thought, well, man, there goes our chance of ever having a pool, you know. It actually proved not to be the case dad hired a professional to put the pool up turns out those are necessary and uh, now and it's the pool I believe it's still in my sister's backyard today who bought my childhood home and and uh, man I love to swim now You've got to understand something, I am significantly younger than all of my siblings, okay? My, 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 my pastor, my brother John, he's 15 years older than me. My sister's 12 years older than me, and my other brother is 8 years older than me, okay? So there's a significant gap between all of us, and uh, so because of that, my parents were very fearful to let me swim in the pool with my siblings. Uh, for fear of, um, you know, death, and so, uh, and so they they wouldn't let me get in the pool, you know, and so uh, until, until they bought me these water wings, you know what I'm talking about, I, I think they call them floaties now, or something like that, or floaters, but back in the day, they were just yellow inner tubes that you blew up, and with those, I was safe, you know, with those, John could throw me as high as he wanted to, I would come crashing down, and I knew eventually I was gonna pop back up to the top, you know, and And uh, they could try to shove me under the water. Brock could try to shove me under the water. But eventually, there was going to be some evidence because eventually I was going to pop back up to the top. And so, because of those uh, water wings, I mean, I felt safe. I felt secure. And so, I never really felt the need to learn how to swim. That was until I was in fifth grade and going to junior camp for the very first time. On the way up to camp, I was asking the kids who had gone before, you know, what's the best part about camp? they were talking about lake time. That lake time was the best time, and they had the the world's uh, largest uh, slip and slide. It, it wasn't, but that's what the camp said. And, and they had the the, the largest uh, platform that you could jump off of in the state of California. Again, another lie told by the camp. And I mean, but but I mean, lake lake time was the best time, you know. And so I got excited about it. And so our counselor came in on Tuesday afternoon and said, "Hey, boys, swim time. Who wants to go?" Well, of course, we all wanted to go. And so man, we run over, uh, we grab our swim trunks, grab our beach towel. I grab my water wings and we head down to the lake and we get there and the lifeguard has us all lined up and he starts pumping us up you know he's like who wants to go down the slip and slide oh yeah yeah. who wants to jump off the platform oh me 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 who wants to play king of the raft oh yeah, yeah yeah now before we can do any of that we got to make sure you can pass a swim test ah bummer Well man, one by one, my friends are passing that swim test, going on to bigger and better things, and I'm over here. I put my t-shirt on over top of them, you know, learn that trick. That way they look like muscles, you know. And so I mean I walk up to that lifeguard and he starts laughing at me. I said, Hey, well why are you laughing? He says, Well, you can't be serious. So, well why can't I be serious? He says, Well, we can't let you swim in those. We gotta make sure that that you can swim on your own. But we've got to make sure that you can survive out there in the deep end. Well, needless to say, I didn't get to uh, go down the slip and slide that week. I didn't get to uh, jump off the platform. No, I sat in the kiddie pool with the fourth graders, or okay, fine, the third graders, and played tag, all because I was unwilling to remove the water wings and learn how to swim deeper and deeper. You know, there's an epidemic that's sweeping across Christianity today. All over the world, Christians are unwilling to remove the water wings of their stagnant faith and learn how to dive deeper into the sufficiency of Christ. You know, a water wing is anything that you lean on and depend in rather than Jesus Christ. It's those things in our lives that we hold on to uh, that prevent us from completely depending upon Jesus it's the things that we hold on to and we think they're keeping us safe we think they're keeping us afloat yet in reality they're the very things preventing us from diving deeper into who Jesus is the choir saying this morning Christ is enough you know there's got to be a point in our lives where we desire to dive deeper into who Jesus is where we, desire, where we desire to remove water wings of stagnant religion and stagnant faith and learn how to swim into the, into the sufficiency of God's grace and the sufficiency of not just who Jesus is, but what that truly does mean for you and for me. And all throughout Scripture, but especially in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus taking people where they are, and, me, and moving them deeper into where they needed to be. Uh, we see it in John chapter number 3 with the man named Nicodemus. I mean, he's, the re, he's a religious ruler, he's got the right clothes on, he's carrying the right Bible, but he's lost as can be. And, and Jesus moves him from a relationship with religion to a relationship with Jesus Christ in that chapter. The next chapter, in John chapter number 4, he meets a woman at the well in Samaria. And she'd been dipping her bucket into felled relationship after felled relationship after felled relationship. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you dip your bucket into a well that will never run dry? Why, 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 why don't you start looking for satisfaction in the things of Christ? In John chapter number uh, 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 8 the woman of adultery is caught and she's thrown out in front of him and yet jesus takes time to move her he says hey uh, where are thine accuser oh none my lord he says hey go and sin no more He, he moves her from the relationship that she's in into a deeper relationship a deeper understanding of who he wanted to be In luke chapter number five jesus preaches a message from a boat and at the end of the message, he doesn't focus on the multitude. He focuses on the individual, a man by the name of Peter. And he says, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Well, Peter was a fisherman by trade. That, that meant that, that that's not what his hobby was. That was what his job was, right? And Peter had a bad day at work. He didn't catch nothing. In fact, during Jesus' sermon, he's mending his nets. You know what that tells me? He's blaming his instrument. It's a stupid net, never catches no fish. He's upset he's had a bad day at work and Jesus says hey let's go fishing man that's the last thing Peter wanted to do and and the Lord says hey let's go deep water fishing let's go to the deep end now I'll tell you that was not so Peter understood that Jesus knew how to fish that was not so Peter it's not so Jesus could show Peter what an expert fisherman he was. No, It was to show Peter that there was a deeper way to living. It wasn't just about fish. It wasn't just about job performance. It was about a relationship with him. And he moves Peter from the shallow waters to the deep waters in an effort to show him who He is. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do here in John chapter number six. Now we know the story. Uh, the beginning of John chapter 6 is a story that we've probably heard 5,000 times. It's a story of the lad who gives his lunch to Jesus and he feeds the 5,000 with just five loaves and two small fishes. You hear this story? Yeah, I figured most of us have. Uh, man, we love to tell it in junior church. It's one of those stories that makes its way. It's in fact the only story that makes its way into all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And man, we, we know the story, he, he goes up into the mountain, and he has the multitude sit down, and he looks up, and he says, oh, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip, he has the wrong answer, right? He goes, oh man, 200 penny worth of breads not sufficient that they'd all have crumbs. And, and Andrew, he says, well, there's a lad here, but he's got five loaves, two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And we look at that, and in Sunday school class, we'll say, man, isn't that sad? No one believed in that little boy. No one believed his lunch could feed those people. I mean, poor, poor, poor little boy. You know why no one believed his lunch could feed those people? Because his lunch couldn't feed those people, right? Like, like, that's not, that's not pessimistic, that's just real, right? Like his lunch isn't feeding those people. The boy's not the, misunder, uh, not the underestimated person in the story. No, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that's misunderstood. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that's underestimated. And the Lord takes that lunch. He says, make the men sit down. And he breaks the bread and he distributes it and he distributes it and distributes it and the disciples are going and the disciples are going and the disciples are going and the little boy's going, Mom packed a big lunch today. And the Bible says that they ate as much as they would. That doesn't mean they ate enough to fill them up. It means they ate until they couldn't eat no more. They had as much as they would. They were filled, the Bible says. So much so that there were 12 baskets left over. Now, oftentimes, that's where the Sunday school lesson ends. Time's up. Time to go home. But have you ever wondered what happened to all these people? Like, where are they the next day? Why is it that when Jesus is brought before Pilate to be crucified, not one person stands up to plead his case? Why is it that in the upper room there's only 120 something people left over to pray for the Holy Spirit of God? Where did all these people go? Well, you know, it's amazing what happens if you just keep reading. And in John chapter 6, and verse number 15, it says that when Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all make uh, the statement that he did this to pray. Jesus uh, saw that they were going to take him by force, make him a king, and so he departs alone to a mountain to pray. Well, why would he do that? Well, because when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come to be king. I want to say this very clearly this morning. When the first time Jesus came, he came to be Savior. He came to die on a cross. He he came to pay for the sins of mankind. He came to be a sacrifice, to show himself as God in the flesh, die on a cross for crimes he did not commit, to pay for sins that you and I would do. And he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God this morning. Now, this next time he comes, he's coming to be king. Oh, what a day that's going to be when God comes through the clouds to be king over us. But the first time he came to be Savior. he goes to a mountain alone to pray. You can continue reading and you'll see that the disciples uh, get in a boat. They decide to sail back over to Capernaum and it's on the sea that uh, a storm breaks out and they see Jesus walking on the water. John doesn't mention it, I'm not sure why, but Matthew mentions that this is the passage where Peter also walks on the water. Jesus is now in the boat, they're now on the other side of the sea. That takes care of Jesus and the disciples, but what about the 5,000? We'll look at verse number 22. The Bible says, The day following. When the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein to his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Now, I know that's a lot of words, but just think of it as an investigation scene, right? Uh, these people go to sleep. They wake up and they're looking for Jesus. Right? Where's he at? Where did he go? They uh, split up into groups. Right? Some check out the mountain. Some check out the seashore. They're putting together the eyewitness accounts. Right? Of what happened? Okay. Yeah, Jesus. He he was with his disciples. No, he wasn't. Yeah. No. 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 No way. I counted how many were in that boat. It was just twelve. And, and so then maybe he's up in the mountain still. Maybe he's down here. No. Nope. And so now in verse number twenty six or uh, verse number twenty four, it says that when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Hey, this is, this is a good thing. These people have had so much of Jesus, they want more of him the next day. And in verse number 26, in verse number 25, it says that when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? How'd you get over here? And Jesus answers their curiosity with confrontation. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And I guess what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus was not doing this to drive them away, but he was rather doing this to drive them deeper. He says, hey, you've seen the miracle. Now see the source, right? Let's get deeper into who I truly am. And it's from the conversation that follows that we realize these these people didn't want to remove their water wings. They, They didn't want to learn how to swim into the sufficiency of Christ. They wanted to stay on the shallow end. And so from this morning, if we could, I just want to notice three signs of a shallow faith. Three signs of a Christian unwilling to remove their water wings. And dive deeper into who Jesus is. First of all, would you notice that a shallow Christian focuses on the product? A shallow Christian focuses on the product. You know, one thing we have to realize when we read scripture is that Jesus was God. Well, I thought I'd get a few more amens on that, but that's okay. Like, like think about it. Jesus was God. Like, this is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, this is God in the flesh. And as God, Jesus was omnipotent. He was all-powerful. He was omniscient. He was all-knowing. And so when Jesus speaks, we have to understand something. He is not assuming he is revealing. Right? This is not Jesus saying, well, you're probably just here for more food. No, 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 This is Jesus telling us, you're here for more food. In fact, that word there with, that we don't use very much anymore, verily, verily, it really means truly, truly. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth. You seek me not because you saw the miracle, but because you did eat of the loaves and were full. Okay, so think about it. Those people had as much as they could the night before for dinner, did they not? They were filled. They wake up the next morning, and what do most people do in the morning? Eat, coffee. Eat breakfast. Coffee, yeah. Get, get some food in you, right? Now, they probably weren't starving, right? But there was probably that one guy, you know, you know who you are. I could eat. You ever been there? You know, yeah, I'm not hungry, but I could eat, you know. And so they're like, hey, let's get Jesus. He'll put some breakfast burritos on, you know. He'll poof up some pancakes that look like Mickey Mouse. That'll be great, you know. And so they look for him. He's not there. He's gone. They start looking on the side of the mountain. Now, all that takes time, does it not, to search for someone, to look for him, to jump into the sea. Well, it took the disciples most of the night to get to Capernaum. I'm guessing it took the, uh, the 5,000 of them most of the afternoon. By the time they get to the the, the other side of the sea, they start looking for Jesus. Again, this takes some time, does it not? There's some time moving here, is there not? Now, where do you think they looked for Jesus first? I'm thinking the marketplace. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and later John is going to tell us, Jesus isn't at the marketplace, he's at the temple. So they... It takes some time for them to find Jesus, is all I'm trying to get across here. By the time they get to him, don't you think their stomachs are kind of talking to him a little bit? Now it's lunchtime, now they're hungry, and they say, Lord, where have you been? What's for lunch? Taco Tuesday, perhaps? And Jesus says, no, 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 the all-you-can-eat buffet is closed. He says, are you here for what I can do for you, or are you here for me? My friends, that's a question we've all got to answer this morning. What are we here for this morning? Are we here for him or are we simply just here for what he can do for us? A marriage counselor of over 40 years became troubled when he realized that the majority of the couples he counseled to be married were ending their marriage and divorce. Well, obviously, that's not good. His job is to make sure couples stay together. And so he began to rethink his protocol. He began to rethink how things uh, were done. And so he instituted some, some new rules, right? And so when he counseled couples, he would have an interview with them apart from their partner and he would ask them a question. And the question he asked was if there was one reason, if you could boil it down to one reason that you were going to marry this person, what is it? He did this for over a year and the results he found were staggering. The number one answer he received to that question was because they had good looks and were attracted to them physically. The next answer was because they had a good job and could provide for them financially. My favorite answer on the list was because of genetics. That, man, I'm marrying this person because they're good looking and so maybe my kids will be good looking. Or he's really talented and tall and so maybe maybe my kids will be talented and tall. Well, here's the problem with genetics. Your genetics play a part in it too, you know. And so like if the kid ends up dumb, that might be your fault, you know, and like, like, you know, and so like, like, you know, but, 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 but in all the answers, right, he, he compiled these answers and, and, and all the answers, not one of them, he said, was based on the person themselves, but rather based off of what that person could do for them. He said, man, it's no wonder marriages are ending in divorce. Because we, we fall in love with not a person, but the idea of what that person's going to do for us. And when the looks fade, because they will, and when the money's gone because you spent it, and when the kid gets your genetics and not theirs, we blame them. Oh man, you're not who I thought you were. You're, you're, you're not who I loved. And, and we just call it quits. Look, that's not just happening in marriages. That's happening in Churches. We have churches filled with Christians who are in love with a God of their own making. They're in love with a God who who, who they think is going to do something for them. It's an I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine type of a relationship where it's like, okay, God, I'll go to church, but you're going to, you know, bless my marriage. Okay, God, yeah, I'll tithe, but then you're going to give me the promotion at work, right? Okay, God, yeah, I'll do this. I'll serve, but... You know, you're going to give me that extra vacation time, right? Okay, I'll put my kids uh, in church, but they're going to turn out good, right? You know, it's I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, and we treat Jesus like a means to an end. My friends, Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Look, I want to say this very carefully this morning, but when you got saved, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the reward for salvation was not heaven. No. Your reward for salvation was Jesus. Your reward for salvation was a relationship with Him right here, right now. Jesus is heaven, amen? He is the greatest joy. He is the greatest treasure. And he did not just die on that cross so that one day we could spend forever with him in eternity. No, no, no. He died on that cross so that we could spend every day with him right now, presently. God wants a relationship with us now. He he, he wants us to walk with him and talk with him now. It's about right here, right now. Our relationship with jesus christ look he says i'm a rewarder to them that diligently seek me he says they they shall seek me and they shall find me when they have searched for me with all their heart look jesus isn't playing hide and go seek with you this morning he just wants to make sure you're looking for the right thing he wants to make sure you're looking for him oh where are the christians that would sing as the psalmist and the hymn writer wrote as the deer panteth for the water So my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Oh, Paul said, my chiefest desire is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. I want to see his face. Can I just encourage you this morning? Stop seeking after God for what you hope to get out of it and and start seeking after God because he's worthy to be sought. Stop worshiping God for who you hope notices and start worshiping him because he's worthy of your worship. Stop serving God for who you hope notices and what applause you hope you get and start serving him because he's worthy of your service. Hey, the first sign of a shallow Christian is someone who wants to get close enough to reap the benefits, but not so close that it requires sacrifice. They focus on the product, but then notice secondly, shallow Christians forget about the past. They forget about the past. I find it interesting as, as the conversation continues. Look at verse number 27. Jesus encourages them or challenges them. He says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. For him hath God the Father sealed. They said, or Then they said unto him, well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? You know what they're asking? They're saying, okay, I know you said the all-you-can-eat buffet is closed, but what can we do to get you to work the works of God? How can we get you to do what you did yesterday? And look what Jesus says. This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. He said, you want a miracle? How about the miracle of salvation? How about the miracle that God sent his son to die on a cross so that you could spend right now and forever with him one day? They said... Therefore unto him, verse 30, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so, 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 so catch it. Jesus says, you want a miracle? Here's a miracle. I'm the Messiah, right? Believe on me. That's the work of God. Believe on me. Believe that I'm Jesus Christ, that I am the Messiah, they say, you want us to believe on you? Whoa. What sign showest thou that you're the Messiah? I mean, what have you ever done, right? That's what they say. They say, what, what dost thou work? What, what have you ever done? Then they say, hey, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So this is what they're saying. They're saying, now, if you, sh- if you made manna fall from the sky, you know, if you made food appear out of nowhere for us to eat, then we would believe that you are the Messiah. Is that funny to anybody else here? Like, isn't that what he just did yesterday? Like, like isn't, didn't he just do that? Like, yeah, it was a half turn, okay? Like, like I haven't even gotten out of John 6 yet, okay? Like, we're, we're just a few verses removed from Jesus taking five loaves, two fish, and feeding them all in abundance. And now they're saying, hey, uh, what have you ever done? Hey, how about you provide food for us? Then we'd believe you were God. No, no, no. Jesus had already proven himself as God. What I find so sad about this entire story is that here is a people, right? The Israelites, who had searched and longed and waited for a Messiah for their entire lives. And here he is, right in front of their faces. And they missed him. Why? Because they were so caught up in the right here and the right now in instant gratification. It was all about, what could you do for me now? How how, 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 are you going to satisfy me now? It was all about instant gratification. You know, we live in an instant world, do we not? And you want something, you can have it. Fast food. we've We've got a phone that has access to the world's knowledge at our fingertips. Okay? I mean, it used to be, you'd preach and you'd tell a story and everyone would just believe you. Now you tell a story, and people know more about the story than you do by the time you leave, because they're googling it in their seats, right? And they're, they're, they're like correcting you, Pastor Kenny. They're like, oh, it's not 1984, it was 1985. Yeah, does that really matter in the grand scheme of things, you know? Like, come on, person. That's not the point of the story, right? I mean, you talk about the world's knowledge, it's right there on our fingertips. Uh, m- my wife has something called an instapot. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's, it's like a crockpot on drugs. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but it's like a crack pot, okay? I mean, it's just I mean, it's fast, man. You throw some meat in there, you push a button and 10 minutes later, boom, it's done. It's ready to eat. I mean, it's fantastic. Right here, right now, right? Instant society. Amazon Prime. Oh, man, free 2-day shipping. They're working on drones to deliver it to your house the same day. Hey, I just heard this new product that they're coming out with that 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 you order it And within two minutes, it appears in your living room. That's actually completely false. But you believed it for a second, didn't you? (laughs) Why? Because that's how crazy our world is. It's instant. It's right here. It's right now. You want something, you can have it. Here's the problem. What happens when things aren't so fast? Fast food isn't fast, and we get frustrated. The Instapot's out of commission, and... We gotta wait for cooking, we get hangry. Your cell phone bar, you're on Sprint and so it, you know, it's a little slower than normal. If like you ever meet an overly frustrated person, just know they have Sprint as their network, okay? <laughs> That's just the truth. I'm one of them. <laughs> and man, when you're trying to search something and that bar's just taking a little bit too long, it's just sort of like, oh, come on. When Amazon two-day shipping has delay because of snowstorms, we get frustrated, don't we? Frustrated. Here's the truth. God is not an instant God. God is a God of patience. He says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Again, I say, wait on the Lord. Stand still and know that I am God. Stand still. Oh man, we don't like to stand still. Oh man, we're we're, we're in a world that goes, we're in a world that moves, we're in a fast paced, hustle society of work, 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 grind, grind, grind. And God says, No, 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 to get in touch with me, you got to wait for me, you got to be still. You've you got to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he was showing to you today. Hey, God is not an instant God. He's a God of patience. He's a God that requires us to wait for him. He speaks in a still, small voice. And deep-end Christians understand that the best things in life are worth the wait. They're worth the wait. They're worth slowing down for and taking our time to just hear from him he says i he says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul some of us need our souls restored this morning We need need to get to a place where we can slow down, where we can lay down beside the still water of Jesus Christ and find our rest in Him. Shallow Christians forget about the past. They focus on the product. But then notice finally they forsake the pleasure. They forsake the pleasure. All throughout this passage of Scripture, Jesus is trying to get them to stop focusing on what they want and start focusing on what they need right? Uh, don't, Don't just take my word for it. Go ahead and look at it. He says in verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, that's what they wanted, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, that's what they needed. Verse 28, he says, then they say unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Again, that's what they wanted. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. That's what they needed. Verse 30, they said unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Again, that's what they wanted. Verse 32, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. That's what you want. This is what you need. That's what you want. This is what you need. That's what you want. I am what you need. Look at verse 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. That is in the aggressive imperative tense in the Greek. You say, what does that mean? It means that the kid in the candy store or the kid in the grocery store doesn't want the Cheerios. He wants the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. and He's going to let you know about it right? That, that, that's the tense that this is in. Lord, just give us some bread. Lord, we're hungry. Lord, just give us some food. Jesus says, that's what you want. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He says, that's what you want. I am what you need. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He takes everything else off the table. And he offers them himself. The question is, would Jesus be enough for these followers? Well, after much debating and a weird analogy, we get our answer in verse 66. Where the Bible says, from that time, many of his disciples went back. And walked no more with them. Jesus offers them himself. And Jesus wasn't enough for them. So here's the question for us this morning. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Now I'll answer the question. Yes and more so. Like Jesus is enough. And he is more than enough. So here's the real question. Do you believe it? Do you live like it? Do you live as if Jesus is enough for you? Like, why is it that we are so easily satisfied with the things of this world? Like, I know we talk about finding pleasure in sin, but I think a lot of us find pleasure in self. We find pleasure in, like, accomplishing a goal, accomplishing a task, like, and we get satisfied We can get satisfied with our job. We can get satisfied and happy with with being entertained on on a sports game or something like that. While while there might not be anything wrong with that, here's the truth. Why is it that we seek the creation for satisfaction when it is only the creator who can bring it? When are we going to realize that no created thing can do for us what the creator alone himself can do nothing in this world can bring us joy like jesus can look he created all things he's before all things therefore he's above all things he's better than all things and i'm learning that it is only when i am captured and captivated by who jesus is and what jesus has done for me That I am able to fight off the constant temptations to settle for anything less than Jesus. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Joy is found in the presence of God, it's not found anywhere else. True joy, true contentment comes from above. He says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Man, apart from, the, apart from the vine, the branch is useless. The branch is a stick on the floor made to be picked up with and played with like a sword. It, but when the branch is connected to the vine, hey, it has purpose. It has function. It can bear fruit. It can do what it was designed and created to do. And Jesus says, look... I'm the vine, and it's only when you're connected to me that you'll have purpose. It's only when you're connected to me that you'll be able to bear the fruit that you're supposed to bear and do the things you were designed to do. It comes from being connected to, to me. Now, we've taken that great truth from God and we've turned it into a song Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Fine, and we are the branches. That's not what we were supposed to do with that truth. You know what that truth was meant to do? He says at the end of John chapter 15, in verse number 11, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Hey, the only way your joy is ever going to hit full is when you realize that apart from the vine, you don't have joy. Apart from his purpose, you don't have satisfaction. Apart from a relationship with him, apart from diving deeper into who he is, you can't be satisfied. Look, our hearts were made for you. And, and until, until we rest in you, we will be restless, Augustine says. We'll be restless. We'll be wanders. We'll be constantly trying to fill the void with any sinful or self-given thing that this world offers us. And it's only when we, when we get connected to the vine that we can have true satisfaction is Jesus enough for you at the end of John chapter number 6 i find it so interesting that jesus does not chase after them it says many of his disciples went back walked no more with Jesus does not soften the message. He he does not send his disciples with invitations to an all you can eat Sunday next week. No. Jesus seems perfectly content with the fact that his popularity just plummeted. In fact, he even says in verse 67 Then Jesus said to the 12, Will you also go away? In other words, now that you know what this is all about, are you also going to leave? And I love what Simon Peter says. Man, Peter says a lot of dumb stuff in Scripture, but he sure got this one right. I love it. It says, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Man, may that be our prayer this morning, that God, where else would we go? We, we want to run to your side. We want to run to your presence. We want to find joy in you because you have the words of eternal life, because your word is enough. And we believe and are sure, we're persuaded that you are Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are enough for us. And may that be our prayer this morning so as we close let me ask you to do something would you identify the water wings in your life picture them what is it that you need more than jesus what is it that you lean on and trust in to find your satisfaction your happiness other than jesus christ picture in your mind then ask yourself this question is it worth it is it worth missing out on true joy to have this now again i'll answer the question the answer is no so here's the real question are you willing to let it go are you willing to cast it off at this altar and learn how to swim in the deep waters of christianity now listen i'll be honest with you you're going to get some water in your nose there's going to be a struggle there's going to be moments where, where, where it doesn't feel like everything's going great but it's in those moments we have the confidence to say he will never leave me nor forsake me. He's right there swimming next to us in the deep end. Don't be a shallowing Christian this morning. Let's remove the water wings and learn to swim into the deep waters of the sufficiency of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to look into your word. We thank you for the truth that you are enough. We heard it from the choir. We've heard it from the word of God. May now we preach it to ourselves. and May we leave this auditorium Understanding that whatever is at home or whatever is in the car or whatever this world has to offer us tomorrow will never replace and never be what we need it to be to find joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in life. Lord, may we find our fulfillment and satisfaction from you. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room that does not know you as Savior this morning, I pray that today they would see that you're enough to pay for their sins, that you're enough to cover their sins with your blood, that your death on the cross paid for their eternity. Lord, I pray that they would trust you as their Savior, that they would believe, as you told this crowd here, to believe on him whom he has sent, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for us as Christians that that this morning we would see those water wings holding us back, that, Lord, we'd cast them off, and that, Lord, we'd swim into the sufficiency of Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't know how the Lord spoke to your heart this morning. I'm not sure how Pastor Keeley normally would do an invitation, and so this might be a little different, and and that's okay. But as the piano begins to play in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, if the Lord spoke to your heart this morning about something specific, not just in general, but but something specific in your life, I want to ask you, would you do something about it? If he spoke to you, would you speak back to him? Would you cry out and say, Lord, I want, to help. I, want, I want you to help change this in my life. I want you to help me be better at this. Lord, I need you to help me to stop focusing on, on what you can do and focus on who you are. I need you to help me to, to slow down and learn to wait in an instant world for your presence. God, I need you to, I, I need you to convince me that you're enough for me. Uh, that I don't need this and I don't need that I don't need to find my joy here or there I need to find my joy in you if you're not saved during this invitation if you don't know Christ as your savior don't have a relationship with him during this invitation time as the piano plays I'm just going invi- to Im- invite you to come right up to the front as, as I will everybody else and, and if you don't know Christ just, just find me find Pastor Kenny find someone up here at the front and just say you know what I don't know Christ as my savior and we would love this morning, There would be nothing that would thrill our heart more than to take the word of God and show you the Son of God this morning. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The piano's going to begin to play. And as we stand to your feet, I'm going to pray And if the Lord is speaking to your heart. Then I ask you to respond. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you again for how you spoke. Lord, I pray that now during this invitation time, would you speak to hearts? Would you change lives? for your honor, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.